0: The mom's like, so given that we want to apply to schools X, Y, and Z, I'm like, well, what's the GPA? Pause. What's the GPA? Like, how many APs are we taking? And mom's like, he's on track to take no APs. He has a two point nine, thirty. And so I can't take your money. Like, 30 is beyond amazing for any school that will ever be reasonable. And so that's the most heartbreaking conversations. You know, it's not about sales you know had they only found out in eighth grade like we started talking about at the beginning like mom and that and that's not a made-up story like that happens like your stereotypical like i'm the robotics boy tinkerer who like played maybe too much xbox and got the 2.9 and i was apparently smart enough to get pulled 30 on a mock had mom only known she could have nudged and like such a different outcome could have been achieved
1: This week, we are diving into the hot topic of grade inflation, which has become rampant since COVID. It often catches families off guard when it becomes problematic for getting admitted to college. My guest, Brian Newfinger has data that might just shock you, as well as advice on how to best navigate GPA and course rigor, which are the number one factors for getting into college. I'm Lisa Marker Robbins, and I want to welcome you to College and Career Clarity, a Flourish Coaching production. Let's dive right in to a great conversation. It is my pleasure to welcome Brian Eufinger to the podcast. He is a ACT/SAT test prep provider and all things tutoring in the greater Atlanta area, serving the entire Southeast region and helping students get better test scores. However, what he's coming on to share with us today is really about the effects of the reality of great inflation. Because by the time students get to the point of doing test prep, the GPA is pretty well solidified. So he's on a mission to get the word out about how parents, your GPA, and your student's GPA now are apples to oranges, and he's got some great talking points, evidence, and insights to help your student as early as possible have the grades that make a difference in getting into college because, like it or not, grades are the number one factor on getting in. Brian, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with this whole idea that we as parents, we're just thinking GPA, right? And parents reflect back and they're like, oh, gosh, you know, I had a I'm not going to say what my high school GPA was, but I had a whatever GPA. And they're comparing that maybe to their student. And you're like, that's probably the first mistake we're making. Right
0: for sure so you know i didn't i graduated this millennium i'm not that old and mathematically there just weren't enough ap classes even being taken that you could even get a 4.25 at my it was a suburban high school in st louis missouri and now there's people with 4.7s 4.8s there's lots more ap classes there's lots of rounding up there's lots of credit recovery there's no zero policies there's all kinds of ways that kids are getting their grades up even if they don't get it right the first time. And so if mom and dad are a two income family, they're busy with their careers and in their head, they see a 3.5 and they are thinking what a 3.5 meant in 1992. It's just not the case anymore. One stat I use on on phone calls with parents all the time is the average GPA for people who were rejected by Auburn last year was a 3.79. And it blows their mind. You know, Auburn, wait, 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 wait.
1: let's, let's repeat that <laughs> the average Rejected GPA of students who applied to Auburn University was what?
0: 3.79. Wow. Yeah. And so, in as great as it would be for my wallet if these standardized tests were all that mattered, like ethically, you know, Catholic Guild, I turn down tons of money each year from a student who comes to me, has a cold 30 on a mock test, and has the 2.9. It's like, I can get you a 37 on the AC. It doesn't matter. Like, it, the game's over because they've made enough mistakes GPA wise. So it's not salesmanship, but, you know there's people who just don't realize like it's, n- it's not even ninth grade, it's really eighth grade as you're picking course selection and making sure that you get on the right math track to make sure you're able to take the kinds of hard math classes that colleges want to see. So at a minimum, at the beginning of ninth grade, parents need to be on it to make sure no GPA shenanigans are occurring, but it might occur earlier with some of the eighth grade math tracking.
1: At least like where we are in the greater Cincinnati area, I was just looking at a senior student that I'm working with, his transcript. And it wasn't just math that was being taken in eighth grade for a high school credit and appearing on the high school transcript. It was also a physical science class and Spanish one. It was foreign yeah. language. And I mean, there was also stuff in there. They had taken their financial literacy, their health class and a gym class, less impactful on that core course GPA. So for families that are listening that have a younger student that's going to take courses for high school credit in the eighth grade, like the trains left the station and that high school GPA is being built. Can you talk a little bit like I I heard you mention things like no zero policies and redos and makeups like I'm assuming these are the things that are leading to grade inflation, GPA inflation. Can you tell us a little bit about the pressure that's put on teachers and what you're seeing in the classroom that's leading to this? Because this isn't, it didn't just magically happen. What is the cause of it?
0: I mean, there's a, there's a hundred smaller, more common cases. And then there's even rare dramatic cases where if you Google no zeros policies, it could be in Iowa, it could be in Fairfax, Virginia. There's hundreds of districts now where you're not allowed to give a student under 50%, even if they don't turn the assignment in. So mathematically, like you don't turn it in. You tell the teacher, sorry, I don't care. They have to give you a 50, which is totally emasculating and just neuters the, the teacher's entire authority. My friends who are K-12 through 12 teachers, they vent privately to me because they can't get in trouble with administration because administration's like, sorry. And so how do you get a kid to be motivated when they know that they have a high enough grade in the class that nothing they do with getting zeros or 50s? The rest of the semester, they still keep their A, and so they won't care, they don't participate. And it really, it inflates... The, the floor becomes 50, and you know, some, school, some districts have Ds, some don't have Ds, but like you could almost just try for the first two weeks of the semester and pass in some situations, and then there's, people can drop quizzes, or you can do extra credit or credit recovery where you can redo a test and gain back up to X percent of the points you missed. And If a student takes advantage of all those opportunities, it's really hard to get a bad GPA in a lot of situations.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I had a friend of ours, Brooke Hansen, on the podcast when we talked about ACT and SAT test optional policies and a lot of great data that she had there. But, you know, she's like, what are we teaching our kids, right? Mindset wise, work ethic wise, when we say, oh, just take the test optional route and don't worry about it. Like quit when the trying gets hard. Same thing with this no zero policies for Great. I mean, it's not just about the transcript and the getting in, but what what are we teaching our future? What is that impact gonna have? Which I could talk about that forever. So we're gonna stick with grade information sure. right now. Sure. But sure. yeah, it's unbelievable. So I know that you talked about be cognizant of we're building that GPA early on, eighth grade, ninth grade, the trains left the station. And the gamification of GPA starts quite early as well by students talk a little bit i see students chasing all the time ap courses and being trying to be strategic to be at that top of the class and you i know have some insights around ap courses and how this compounds the issues with gpas what are your insights there
0: so we track data a lot a popular uga website that we maintain because it's a important school for a lot of our clients. And there's been a steady march forward pretty much every year since we started the company where kids are taking like 0.3, 0.4 more AP classes than the prior year. So the middle 50% of kids that get into UGA took 7 to 12 AP classes by graduation. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean they took 7 to 12 exams. Far from it. For the metro area, around 10 is probably 10, 10 point something is probably the average. And so parents don't realize Taking the AP class is the main use, sadly, for an AP class is it gets you the GPA bump because in my professional opinion, we tutor about 400 kids a year who get into UGA if we have a good sample. Of those 400, my personal estimate, they probably take around nine or 10 APs by graduation. They might only sit for three or four exams and they might only have a four or five on maybe one. And so AP, I wish that, I mean, if I were in charge, I would make it so you don't even get the AP Bonus to your GPA unless you at least sit for the exam, or ball, if we want to be ballsier, actually get a three or higher. But that I would be tarred and feathered for ha- you know, demanding high You would standards? be. How about I will say,
1: in the greater Cincinnati area, there are schools that you are not going to be in that AP course unless you pay for your AP exam. And I mean, you can't hold a gun to somebody's head and make them go on test day, right? But at the beginning of the school year. I have seen policies from some school districts, and I applaud this, where it's like yep. it is built into your school fees, that AP exam in the fall. It has to be paid when school is starting. And you're basically given that directive that you will pay for the test now and you will sit for the test in May. I haven't seen it taken as far as you are. I want to interject real quick, because we have listeners all over the United States and Canada, and those are the clients I serve inside my college major and career course, they're everywhere. So UGA, University of Georgia, I know that, you know that, but just making sure everybody knows. And can you kind of give us the stats? I mean, you gave us a lot of information about what's going on at the high schools with students who are applying to the University of Georgia, your state flagship for Georgia where you live, but what are the stats for students who are getting into University of Georgia?
0: UGA, Mr. Graves runs this great admissions blog, is very responsive. And when he, when he tweeted this one thing, I knew it already just because of the students we work with. I screenshotted it so hard. He published that you know, 92% of the total semester grades earned by those who got in early action to University of Georgia last year were A's. And about 7% B's and, you know, zero point whatever rounding error CDF combined, which when you have the running back and other things, like, you know, pretty much, I mean, if you're from a competitive school, public, private, north, south, east, west, but if you don't have a special hook, then pretty much you were getting around 11 A's for every one B, you know, about three points something B's total by the time you applied early action. So half of semesters, three days, half of semesters, one B. Was the technical average? Now, I'm not from here originally. I'm from I'm from Missouri, and so when we got here, the Hope Scholarship, which we have here in Georgia, pays yeah. for a lot of money. I'm jealous. They, they did not have that in Missouri, and so over the years, as people like, wow, free. You know, how many colleges are are worth you know three hundred thousand dollars more than UGA? Not zero, but not a million. And so right. kids kids don't realize how competitive a lot of the flagships of all states have been really getting.
1: Much more so. Yeah. I mean, I I was in high school in the mid 80s and it's astronomical since then. Unlike you, I was not graduating in this millennial, but (laughs) that's a whole nother story. So, Brian, I mean, we're talking a lot about what happens on the top end of this GPA. Students chasing APs for grade inflation, not sitting for the test. Grades are higher. But it makes me really curious, are we seeing a change in the middle or the bottom part of this as well?
0: Yeah, we actually are seeing, interestingly, not even more of an impact at the bottom than the top, because there's always been the guy who, or the girl who's getting 100, 100 million percent I admire the small percent of schools that are very transparent, no, pub- no logins needed where they publish their profile documents on their website because well-meaning parents sometimes don't find out until their second child in school what the GPA distribution really was or never. And so this is a high school not very far from our office. I admire their transparency. Everyone's eyes are drawn to the tip top. I want to look at two things, grade compression and then the bottom. People talk grade inflation. You can Google it, millions of results. Grade compression is you look at that middle 7% right there, 94.81, to 87.64. So 50% of the entire student body falls into just around 7%. Now, junior year is a cruel joke because you're taking more APs than ever. And you might have a boyfriend or girlfriend for the first time and make varsity sports for the first time and have SAT, ACT prep on your plate. There's a lot going on. So someone who, not being super lazy, but just life happens, they fall, air quotes, only 4% on their cumulative. Oh, my God, if 40% of your friends just jumped over you and you just dramatically changed your entire college list, I would prefer the school stretch it out. Because the most dramatic and understated number, for those of us who aren't doing this day in, day out, like you and I, look at the bottom right corner, that orange arrow. Does Yikes. this mean, is this hilarious or sad or both? Does this mean not a single child for any reason in the entire student body has lower than a 79? That makes me sad for America. Like, that's just, it's ridiculous. And imagine if you're a parent who was unaware, I had a 79 and I still got into XYZ and like, it's it's horrifying and so like, you need to be honest with parents like is this kind of data should be shared with the 8th graders in the welcome to high school next year auditorium a little presentation because parents they just have gaping mouths the entire auditorium
1: right i mean what that does so it it creates i guess this false sense and parents this hope that oh my kid's going to get into school xyz and that When you see the compression here and where that bottom is and nobody's getting grades below a B, that's shocking. Absolutely Mm -hmm. shocking.
0: My friend who's a former college admissions officer at a top 25 university, he's now an independent college consultant. He basically said his least favorite part of his job at that top 25 school is, he is a really nerdy phrase for parents. The operative range of the unweighted GPA spectrum at his school was about 0.12. What that means in English is once you're below a 3.88 unweighted, unless you had running back or something special going on in your resume, like that's that's psycho. That means seven unweighted A's for every one B is the bare minimum to even be part of the operative range or get your app read or considered.
1: You know, I'm thinking about how, like, at least where I live, so few schools put class rank on any longer. And class rank, when I started 25 years ago, almost doing the job of being an independent educational consultant, class rank was regularly used, and that might be nice to bring back because it would show, oh, that kid with the B average is actually at the bottom of the class.
0: So there's actually a slide that I'd like to praise this school, one of the most transparent schools in Atlanta, that Walton High School publishes this data on their website. If there were a national standard, I would love if like NACAC or ICA or both came out and endorsed, like, let's if we're not gonna have class rank because it creates stress with that granular of a level, okay, fine, agreed. But can we at least agree that a that a good high school profile should at least show this level of quintiles, deciles, whatever? Because if you if a parent looks at this chart, whether they're mathematically inclined or not, you can sort of see where my where my student lies. Now, this is a school where there happens to be a bit of great inflation where parents realize, wait, a 4.38 is not even top 10%. But at least this is transparent and parents could see that if you are at the 50th percentile at this high school, it's a 3.65.
1: Wow. First of all, bravo to that school. Love the transparency. I wish it was mandated that all schools needed to do that because what it does is it manages the expectations of the student and the parents on Building a healthy college list, which a huge part of that is just, can I get in that academic fit? So you're a test provider for Southeast US. What does this do to what you're trying to do? Like you're trying to help these families. What is the impact that you're seeing now as speak as a test provider, not just somebody who's kind of analyzing the data from a college admissions independent educational consultant
0: view? So it's a sliding scale. If you're the secret salutatorian of your high school, you can probably get away with lower test scores, or if you need to make up for some GPA oopses, you might want to overshoot on the testing. But you know, ethically, what breaks my heart is sometimes parents come to us, they take a mock test, get a cold, you know, 30, and the mom's like, So given that we want to apply to schools X, Y, and Z, I'm like, well, what's the GPA pause? What's the GPA? Like how many APs are we taking? And mom's like, he's on track to take no APs. He has a two point nine thirty And so I can't take your money. Like 30 is beyond amazing for any school that will ever be reasonable. And so that's the most heartbreaking conversations. You know, it's not about sales. You know, had they only found out in eighth grade, like we started talking about at the beginning, like mom, and and that's not a made up story. Like that happens, like your stereotypical, like, I'm the robotics boy tinkerer who, like, played maybe too much Xbox and got the 2.9. And I was apparently smart enough to get a cold 30 on a mock. Had mom only known, she could have nudged and, like, such a different outcome could have been achieved. Yeah, you know, we're, we're happy to help people with whatever their goal is. It could be getting higher scores to get into better schools, or it could be I need three points to get the Zell Miller Hope Scholarship to save mom a bunch of money. Either one of those is good. But the earlier we find that information out, you can turn the either GPA or test score Titanic around.
1: Well, with test prep, there is a point where the return on the investment is just not going to be there. So if you have the kid who is, if we actually were class ranking students and that student, we knew, even though they had a 3.0 to your point on your other, the slide that you showed me that that's in the bottom 25th percentile for that class. And we saw that it's like, well, we might be able to get you up to whatever. ACT score. However, there's not going to be the return on the investment because the GPA, as compared to your peers, now you're delivering the bad news is your GPA is not as good as you thought it was and you're not going to be able to get in.
0: I do want to say one thing that I I always find ironic because it's one thing if something's inaccurate, it's another thing if it's literally 180 degrees the, the wrong take. When people refer to these standardized tests as stressful, like anyone can Google how to delete an ACT score and there's plenty of links to tell you just how to do it. You can retake the test as many times as you need to. What's causing stress? Not that. You can take the test. My wife and I still take the SAT. Like they'll happily take your money, even though we're old. But the GPA, you can't go back and undo and fix that C minus in biology from freshman year. Like the stressful part is is parents who once they realize, oh no, I can't go back and change those grades. They matter right now. Like we can always take the ECT one more time if we have to. So the fact that it's always branded as the exact opposite, tests are stressful, school is just school, in my opinion, is the exact opposite of reality.
1: I totally agree with you. I actually, I had a really interesting conversation with John Rice. He works in admissions at the University of San Francisco. And I'll link to this previous podcast, if anybody, it was about nursing admissions is what it was. But he made the point, you know, with nursing admissions, he said to apply test optional to a nursing program is not in your best interest because nursing is heavily, it's a heavily tested major. You have to pass an exam to becomes a licensed nurse. And I think this also goes back to what Brooke and I were talking about, but that mindset of like, oh, it's hard right now, a lot of schools are test optional, so just opt out, but you know and I know that there's a lot of schools that say they're test optional, but the data represents that they're admitting students o- the hand optional, their own
0: Yeah, optional in the same way that taking AP classes is optional. It means we won't right. reject you automatically on site, but it's, it sure helps a lot. And to your point about test prep, we have families who maybe is applying to a third or fourth tier business school, and they right. might probably only get a score is going to let, make them apply test optional anyway. And their parents are like, Oh no, I realize this looks weird. I'm still doing it because he wants to be a CPA. He's going to be doing lots of nerdy math exams. And imagine if he doesn't do this foundation building with you, because he cheated his way through cyber school the last three semesters during COVID. And he doesn't know percentages. He did algebra one and algebra two, fully virtual. And we're going to build this foundation even if we don't end up submitting scores, because otherwise when he goes to try to get into the business school where you apply after the first two years to get in, like he will not be getting in probably. So it's not just about the scores, it's about the foundational skills, which, you know, COVID is not anyone's fault. It's a lot of kids lack the foundation more than they ever had. This has always been true, but even more so now. A lot of kids had their most important classes that underlie because all the algebra all the math you do in high school, it underlies econ, physics, and every other business, engineering, architecture. You know, other than art history, like almost every major, like you're going to be using these high school math things that kids, unfortunately, got hit with during COVID. You've
1: got to be able to test. I always, when we're doing the college major and career course, I'm always like, know if the career that you're pursuing. Requires passing of exams to get licensed or earn important certifications, you know, actuarial science, nursing, teaching. You've got to be able to test. I think it's interesting. And, and I just saw this at the time that we're recording, which is not the time that this is going to drop, but this week ACT came out and showed that the average ACT has dropped rather significantly for the first time in some time. And the test you and I both know is not changed. It's not different, but both ACT and SAT are showing a lower average score now. And I have to go back to what you just said, the COVID impact of cheating or too many second chances, or this no zeros policy. And our students still need to know the material.
0: The journalists are not as steeped in this stuff as we are, so it's not their fault. But the article, you know, said that the average ACT dropped below twenty for the first time in a long, long time—nineteen point eight. That is with thirty percent fewer test takers. Think who's opting out—not the high-scoring people. Right. And so, if everyone were taking the test, can you imagine how much worse it would have been? Nineteen point one—it would have been probably three times the, the drop because you're excising almost surgically the worst test takers most likely. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the COVID learning loss is real. I will say one thing. During early COVID, we had kids who tried to pretend and lie to us, like, I can read your face, you're, you're you're fibbing. They're owning it now. It's like, first, we have to start from a place of honesty and then let's work past it, where they will just deadpan to me in sessions when they're getting a really easy math question wrong. They'll say, I'm not going to lie. I, I played Xbox during every minute of Algebra 1 and Algebra 2. I, I don't even know. I had a person... Call a colon a two dotty. I'm not two kidding. two I, that's a that's a word. I mean, I've had one person know one or two people not know what a trapezoid is, but a two dotty for a colon. Yeah. Two
1: dotty. Wow, two dotty. I think that's a perfect note to yeah. end on. Is a two dotty? Who knew what was was? I learned something every day. Thank you for expanding my mind on that, Brian. So Brian, this was so insightful. This is crucial information for not only families to have, and it can guide conversations with their teen on their grades and the importance of grades, but I hope that we have a lot of school partners and friends listen to it as well. Thanks, Brian, for making time. Happy to help. Not a pleasant topic, right? However, as a guide to your family's college-bound journey, it's my job to give accurate advice, not popular advice that always leaves you feeling good. My college-bound challenge for your family this week is to take some time to examine your students' grades and GPA. I suggest your conversation includes discussing the value of taking AP tests when also taking AP courses, and figuring out your student's unweighted core course GPA, which means removing the fluffy stuff. That's often health, art classes, PE and others. If your school publishes class rank, find out where your team stands in relation to the rest of their graduating class. You want to enter making a college list and later applying to college with eyes wide open in order to best position your student for a successful outcome. If today's episode was helpful to you, please share it with a friend who needs this too. You might even want to share it with those that work at your school to find out how they're handling grade inflation there. Sharing, following the podcast, rating, and reviewing helps us resource more students to launch into a successful future. Thank you for listening to the College and Career Clarity Podcast, where I help your family move from overwhelmed and confused to motivated, clear, and confident about your teen's future.